Hey there, I'm Dorinda Trick, and you've just found Nurtured to Love. Welcome. It is this week's edition of a, of how, uh, it's a weekly look, <laughs> so it's this week's edition, a weekly look at how God made us, spirit, soul, and body, and what difference it makes, how you can discover who you truly are and your divine purpose for living when you know who you are in your spirit. I'm Dorinda Trick bumbling around a little bit today, aren't I? <laughs> Let me start with a fingerprint of God. For those of you who are new um, to this, I'll just uh, define fingerprint of God for you. A fingerprint of God is a way that God Almighty shows you that He knows what delights you, what brings joy to your heart, uh, because He loves you. And this is a way that God intends to nurture our spirits. We're all very unique and very original individual in the way he's designed us. Um, but we do share some some commonality in terms of, of, of things in our lives that will bring that nurture, that love of God to the deepest part of our beings, to our spirits. And, and so a fingerprint, um, many times I share the story of how I would tell our grandsons when they visited in the summertime that in order to get the bowl of ice cream and cookies after dinner at night, they would need to go and take their baths and, you know, put on their pajamas and then run, return to the kitchen with to the bar top with three fingerprints of God from that day uh, in order to get that ice cream. And I gave them little spiral-bound uh, little notebooks that they could make notes in. They, I don't think they did a lot of that. <laughs> but And I usually every night had to redefine what a fingerprint was. And I, the way I said it to these, the kids was just very simple. I say, you know, every good and perfect thing comes from God. So what what's a good thing that happened today? And, you know, oftentimes I'd have to kind of coach it a little bit and say, well, you know, did your brother like let you have, you know, a turn at the, you know, such and such or whatever. And so, you know, but slowly and, and but, but surely during the, <clears throat> excuse me, time they were with us, they would begin to track it. And oftentimes during the day when we'd be out in the car together in town or whatever, um, I might say, hey, you know, got any fingerprints or, you know, that sort of thing, just to remind them. But hey, look, here's the deal. <laughs> we need to recognize the fingerprints of God too, not just children. We adults need it probably even more. So recognizing His love touches and then receiving them in our spirits builds our faith. Now, I said that uh, to sort of give you a little uh, word picture of, of how it works. But today, <laughs> my fingerprint was a little unusual. My car giving me a little trouble yesterday. Uh, well, kind of a lot of trouble. So I did have to call a tow truck to come and get my car today. And when I always get a little, a little uneasy about people coming out because we live way out in the country. And sometimes when people are coming this way, they get a little confused. And, you know, by the time they arrive at my doorstep, they're a little irritated, a little annoyed, but that was not the case today. Today, um, the fingerprint of God for me was when the tow truck operator jumped out of his cab and said, wow, I'm in hog heaven. <laughs> and this was a real surprise to me. He said, wow. He said, I didn't know this place existed. 
Um, we live high up above a river. We're on sort of a bluff, 185 feet up actually. And so he was really just enamored with the, you know, the scenery out here and everything. And he was just grinning from ear to ear. And I said, you know, oftentimes people come out here and they're kind of cussing and spitting by the time they get to my house. But I'm so glad that you're not doing that. <laughs> and that just brought such a delight to me. Um, not everybody is 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 going to be negative, right? And I want to always expect God's best. So that's the fingerprint for today. Now today we continue in the book uh, I wrote entitled Opening the Gift. We're in chapter six, the redemptive gift of teacher. This is, for those of you who just like to keep up with these sorts of things, uh, the 11th episode. We began uh, back in January, January 10th, actually, with a book entitled In Spirit and Truth. Uh, All these books were written by me, and all the books that I'll be uh, sharing on this podcast are available for sale on Amazon. They're also uh, on Kindle. So um, please check them out, would you? Today, we look at the redemptive gift of teacher. And we always like to start with a couple of, um, or I always like to start with a couple of testimonies. So let's listen to these stories. Learning about my spiritual gifting and how it relates to every part of my being has impacted my life more deeply than I could have ever imagined. Knowing my primary gift as teacher has allowed me to understand why I'm drawn to research and how sowing into the lives of others brings me great fulfillment. Not only do I now know my strengths and have a newfound ability to step out in confidence, I'm also aware of the things that hinder me. Knowing what affects me negatively has given me the strength to act rather than react, changing each of my relationships for the better. Another testimony. I recognize my legal right to partner with God, and I am able to walk daily in the authority Christ died for me to possess. I've been empowered to grow deeper in my relationship with Holy Spirit. I now have the tools I need to truly possess my birthright. My birthright, who I am and who God made me to be, comes from my relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at the behavioral characteristics of a person that we would describe as as a redemptive gift of teacher. This is their primary bent, their primary... Um, wheelhouse, their primary bent. First, this person, it may be you, right, is a lover of truth. Pursuit of knowledge is at his core. You prefer doctrine and the established way of doing things over personal experience or revelation. Your biggest motivation is to validate truth, to be sure that truth really is truth. You are the first of what we call three, you're the first of three what we call generational gifts. A generational gift is this, a person with it, like a teacher, has a greater ability to produce fruit, teaching of the truth, that will feed generations to come. So we see, do we not, that teachers are folks who uh, plant seeds. They plant seeds uh, when they are instructing others on topics, whatever, right? Um, And we see, do we not, that as you receive a seed of truth uh, from a teacher, 
then, you know, God follows very much a uh, sort of a a protocol of of farming, does he not, with us in that one person may plant the seed, then another will come and water it. And that means, you know, encouraging you further in that truth, um, whatever it might be. And then, uh, you know, later you begin to grow that truth in your life. It really begins to get some land legs uh, is one way to put it. So these are the generational gifts, and the giver is a generational gift, and so is the ruler. These are also redemptive gifts we'll get into uh, in the coming weeks. A greater ability to produce fruit that will feed generations to come. That's what a generational gift is. I am not. I'm a mercy and prophet. Um, My husband, though, is a giver and ruler. So family is usually very important to these folks. Um, and also the reproduction business. They're very productive uh, people, typically. Now, the teacher is also a detail-oriented person. Um, I am not, and so (laughs) this has been important for me to understand about others and to learn how to be patient with. Um, They are people who are not going to reject a new idea out of hand, but they are going to be slow to respond or receive it. And that's because, again, as you heard me say a few moments ago, they want to be sure that it's true. When I was teaching live classes, um, I could always pick out uh, a person who had this gift um, because uh, they would come to the class with oftentimes their concordance and their personal Bible. Um, They wanted to be sure that I was grounded in Scripture. Um, and that, you know, everything lined up. All the T's were crossed and all the I's were dotted, rather. They are thoughtful decision makers. Not impulsive, not irrational or rash. They need to see the end from the beginning, which can be a weakness for all of us, uh, right? They can frustrate others who think they need to move faster which is sort of what I was alluding to a minute ago. And they tend to get mired down in endless study and details. They just can't get enough of that. Um, it's their easy strength. And as you'll, you'll, you'll notice as I share all this business with you on the uh, broadcast that we all have easy strengths. These are the passion. Uh, this, is, this describes the passion that God has deposited in our spirits, things you just cannot get enough of. And so it's quite easy to excel for the teacher, let's, let's look at the teacher, for them to excel in research and in study, that kind of thing. Um, but we always have to be careful. We want to submit our gifts to the Lord because what happens when we just move in the direction of the easy strength is we don't really need the Lord. We, we begin to resist dependence on God. And God wants us to give the gift back to Him, so to speak, so that then He can lead us in its um, working out in our lives. I love teachers because of the stability they bring. I was with a group of my friends yesterday afternoon for a few hours. We were just sharing life and laughing and talking and encouraging each other and um, drinking a little coffee, having some dessert, that sort of thing for a couple hours. And uh, I was glad that this woman who I've been working with in ministry for many years was sitting beside me because she brings such a sense of stability. Uh, Whenever I'm with her, there's a part of me that just calms down because she's a a teacher. And they're very quiet and very thoughtful in demeanor. 
Others feel safe to come to them with their hurts. They off, they can oftentimes uh, operate or in a role as of a counselor, really, because they're very quiet, thoughtful. They don't react quickly, and and um, you know, perhaps you know, one way to look at it would be the Levitical priesthood. You know, the priest didn't run out into the outer court or run out into the into the um, cities. Um, and grab people by the neck and pull them in for confession type thing. No, they waited. They waited for people to come to them. And so they're very, very patient individuals. They're a patient counselor who waits for people to make course corrections and reconcile themselves to God. They're deeply committed to family and tradition. Very traditional folks tend to be uh, conservative, politically, um, very traditional. They have a great sense of humor. They're oftentimes the last person to speak in a group, and they're funny. All right, another characteristic is that they are passive many times. Um, They're responsible, folks. That's actually the, the law of truth that parallels this gift. In other words, they're supposed to master responsibility uh, from God's point of view. But oftentimes, they will do this on their own terms. Uh, the Good Samaritan uh, story is a just a real vivid example of um, people deciding, selecting what they would be responsible for. You know, you remember that the priests, uh, holy men, leaders, whatever, uh, passed the injured man on the road. Uh, it was not they who helped him, but the Samaritan that helped the man. And so, you know, they decided, they selected not to uh, take that responsibility and help him. You know, let's face it, life can get pretty messy, and family life can get pretty messy. And teachers, um, I can say this from personal experience, um, I have a father, I have a brother, um, I had my very first pastor was a teacher. Um, You know, getting into the emotional issues uh, in family life can be really messy and can be very challenging for people that are wired this way. Um, They will choose the more cerebral, the more head knowledge kind of activities because they don't really uh, place a demand on them in terms of emotions and uh, relational uh, skill. They're not always the most relationally skilled folks, although they can be very bright, very, very bright, very, um, very intellectual, very smart. But, you know, God wants us to take all of our gifts right and use them to uh, bring people to Him. The ministry of reconciliation is a big part of God's end game, right, with us. So they don't like telling other people what their responsibilities are either. That's how they're passive. They find it hard to demand others take responsibility. They tend to select the responsibility that they'll take on themselves. Another little story I like to share is that, you know, you go to perhaps, let's pick on the pastor, or maybe it's a professor, right? You go to their house for dinner. Now, you have a relationship with this person outside their home. You know them in the church context. You know them perhaps in the university setting. They're very high-functioning folks. They're very achievement-oriented. They've written a bunch of stuff. They, they're, you know, they're very, very high-functioning in their occupational role. However, you get to their house, you put your hand on the on the doorknob of the front door and the doorknob comes off in your hand. <laughs> okay, so that's a picture of deferred maintenance, right, at their home, at their residence. And so that's just sort of a metaphor for how they select what they want to do, what they want to be responsible for. And that 
would be an example of not taking responsibility at home, right? So they must resist passivity and impose responsibility on themselves and others when it's the right thing to do. You know, many times the Lord will finally say to a teacher who is in a counselor role, um, you've given that person enough time now. They need to repent. Um, you know, God is gracious, God is kind, and incredibly patient with us. I think we'd all agree. Likewise, we are to be the same. But there is a time when we need to stop being passive and be, uh, be direct with folks. You know, we are our spirits. This is 2 Timothy 1.7. You may or may not be familiar with this verse, but it's an important one. The Lord's been bringing back to my remembrance in the last 24, 48 hours. You know, that the spirit that he gave us is not one of fear and timidity, but one of power love and a sound mind. Another scripture, it's a proverb, I don't know its address, but is fearing man is a dangerous trap, but to trust in the Lord is safety. So we have to recognize too that in these interpersonal situations, uh, we're not to allow what we think the other person wants to, you know, dictate our conduct, but we are to uh, allow God's will to be what leads us and living within the strength of God's will is where we need to be particularly these days. That's a big part of why I'm doing this, y'all, because in these days, I want you to nurture your spirit with what I'm sharing here. I want you to nurture your spirit, mom, grandma, aunt, uncle, whoever you are, get nurtured, and then you will be in a position to speak truth in love to those God brings into your life or who are already in your life um, who need to understand uh, possibly that they are allowing deception into their lives. I think we can all agree, too, there's a great deal of that right now that we're contending with, deception on many, many levels. And um, teachers are made to be truth-tellers. They need to be able to do it well. Head over heart, which I've already touched on. Um, teachers do prefer thinking to feeling. So they are counselors, but they do tend to be more in their heads than in their hearts, okay? They tend to walk by sight and not by faith. Uh, I taught this years ago, and when I did, a student took issue with that right off off the bat, um, really defending her husband. She said, "You know, I, I can't. You can't say that. He he doesn't walk just by sight. No, uh, but there are times when we do struggle with that. All of us and teachers struggle with it oftentimes more." They do prefer doctrine over intimacy with God. God wants to be intimate with all of us, even though it may not be our easy strength because of emotional damage, perhaps, that we've, um, you know, in- experienced in our, in our childhoods. And so really being able to receive God as my father, even though this is not my primary uh, spiritual identity, it still has been a challenge for me. My dad is a teacher by design. And so he's a great guy, supportive, but not an emotional person per se. Uh, Pretty guarded, pretty private in that area. And that's made it difficult for me as a redemptive gift of mercy to feel loved by him at times and to feel connected. I'll tell another little story. Back in 1982, the year I graduated college, um, there were four of us that decided to move to New York City together. A couple Yankees, a couple of Southerners, and we went to New York City, 1982. And um, my mom's a servant. My dad's more of a teacher. My mom 
kind of quaking in her boots, you know, but I was very intent on going to New York, and you'll understand more about that if you hang with me through through these uh, podcasts. But um, I, you know, was getting my ducks in a row, so to speak, to go to Manhattan, to live in New York City. I got my degree, but I was just going to go to an employment agency and figure out how I was going to make a living. Uh, One girl had gotten an apartment. The four of us lived in it for a short time. Then we split two and two, but we lived in the YMCA before that, and we ate lettuce sandwiches at a local deli. I'll never forget it. It was was exciting. It was exhilarating. I, you know, I I loved it. Uh, I loved the experience of going and being on my own in such a big city. But when it came to my parents, I just described my mother for you. She was always loving and supportive, even though she was quite anxious about me leaving. But my dad was very, very cool. If you'll remember a few moments ago, I mentioned that teachers want to see the end from the beginning. And if I could guess, I never had much of a conversation with my dad about it, but I expect that he was like, you know, where's this going? (laughs) And he couldn't see where it could go I don't think that would have been real productive. After I was there four years, for a number of reasons I left. One of the reasons was that I recognized that I could have a much higher standard of living if I came back home to the Deep South, got back in school and got a little more education and became a counselor, which I did do. So sometimes you'll see these folks in your life, you know they love you, but they're a little detached, a little distant emotionally perhaps their teachers by redemptive gift. So once I learned about this person who is designed this way, I was able to release the sense of rejection that I had felt by my dad during that season of my life. I don't think he was rejecting me. He just didn't know what to do with that. He couldn't see the end from the beginning. Sometimes the teacher also will struggle with prayer and intimacy with God. Finally, in the, this behavioral characteristic section of today's uh, teaching, they are anchors for the truth. They provide, as I've mentioned, a stabilizing influence when serving with other more impulsive gifts. Now let's see the teacher in Scripture, and this is Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Luke is an example of a redemptive gift of teacher. And Luke had to be sure that you knew He knew what he was talking about and that he was telling you the truth. This compulsion is the essence of the redemptive gift of teacher who takes his responsibility as an accurate recorder of truth very, very seriously. Listen with your spirit. In the 15th year of the rule of Caesar Tiberius, it was while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip, ruler of Ituria and Trachonitis, Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the chief priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, John, Zechariah's son, out in the desert at the time received a message from God. He went all through the country around the Jordan River preaching a baptism of life change, leading to forgiveness of sins, as described in the words of Isaiah the prophet, thunder in the desert, prepare God's arrival, Make the road smooth and straight. Every ditch will be filled in, every bump smoothed out, the detours straightened out, all the ruts paved over. Everyone will be there to see the parade of God's salvation. That 
is the teacher. <laughs> that is the, the, the level of detail that Luke was compelled by God to include in Scripture. That's because that's his easy strength. That's his passion. Now let's go to the application. Okay, application for you if you are a redemptive gift of teacher or perhaps you're learning this because, you know, you want to learn more and understand more about others in your life, which is huge. And of course, also, I should always remember to say that we are made in God's image. So we possess all seven redemptive dimensions of the nature of Almighty God. This is number three this week, the redemptive gift of teacher. You have a measure of it, whether it's your easy strength or not, your, your bent. God has made you in such a way that you crave truth. You want more and more validation of it and more and more credentials as a result of studying it. However, your spirit becomes dry when you focus in this direction too long. God wants to bring you into deep intimacy with himself through experiencing his manifest presence. Now that could be something new to you, that, that expression, manifest presence. What that means is simply clearly visible to the eye. God wants to show you his fingerprints. He wants you to literally be able to see his presence in your life. God has supernatural strategies he wants to reveal to you as you bring his manifest presence to bear on the problems that he presents you. You know, your attitude ought to be like this. I may not know how to solve this problem right now, but I have the ability to solve this problem within me. Begin by recognizing God's fingerprints on your life daily. Celebrate His goodness and mercies in your emotions. Get out of your head. Okay, now you may be wondering, what exactly am I saying there? Well, I'll give another short story. Uh, two days ago, I traveled to Birmingham with my friend Diane, and uh, I tend to be a nervous rider. I tend to want to be the one to drive the car because I just want to be in control. Yeah, it's an issue, and you may be able to relate. Well, I said no to that, no to my fears on Saturday, and yes to going over to Birmingham for a few hours with her. And so in my emotions, I had, you know, God gave me a lot of grace on Saturday um, to do that. But I had to step out in faith and, and take that risk of riding instead of driving, which I did. And God met my faith with His grace. And I felt such a peace in my emotions during our entire trip over and back. It was lovely. It was a lovely day. We had a delightful time together. And I felt very rewarded by God in my emotions because of that tendency to be nervous and fearful on the road. So that is God's manifest presence, right? All right. You have a tendency to take responsibility on your own terms. Now look, that is a religious mindset. When you're selective in responsibility in your life, it's, it's religion. God doesn't want your religious activity. He wants your heart. Listen with your spirit to Psalm 51, 16 through 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. You have been called to devote your family to God, to make them whole, 
W-H-O-L-E, whole, and set them apart for his purposes, which means holy. You've been called by God, teacher, to make your family whole and holy. Your family is your primary mission field and should be your first priority. God expects you to do what he wants in your family before you accept responsibility elsewhere. The teacher has been called by God to sanctify their family. That's why it's such a grief um, to see, particularly pastors who have this uh, redemptive gift, uh, spend all of their time and energy and passion in the church and with the church people. And uh, meanwhile, their children are languishing. And of course, this applies to um, you know career professional parents who are off all day long at nine to five or more, um, you know, developing their careers, pursuing their careers, and not mentoring, not nurturing, not really cultivating uh, their children spiritually, uh, emotionally, that sort of thing. God wants your family to come first. The ultimate goal of truth is not acquisition of knowledge, but the celebration of the kingship of Jesus Christ. Your task is to develop intimacy with the Lord and worship Him, not just pile up knowledge and understanding. Call your spirit to attention to hear the word of the Lord. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. That's Psalm 73, 16 and 17. Another way of saying that is I will not worship knowledge I'm sorry, I will not worship understanding, for it is oppressive to me. Therefore, I will go into the sanctuary of God. We are to uh, ask God for understanding, but we don't need to worship it. Mm -mm, Nope. The birthright of the teacher is to be that person who recognizes and knows God's deep truths, allows God to speak to him through experiences in life, and then takes back to others, especially his family, the revelation of who God is. If the truth leads us to Jesus, it has accomplished its purpose. But if the truth itself becomes the focal point, it's just another form of the knowledge of good and evil. Its fruit will be death, regardless of how true it is. The information found at the tree of knowledge may no doubt be true and factual, but there is truth that kills and there is truth, there is the truth, who gives life, and we must learn to distinguish between them. And that is uh, from a passage from this tr- the book entitled, There Were Two Trees in the Garden by Rick Joyner. Teachers battle with making the pursuit of truth and religious activity the focal point, when the author of all truth is the one they should be looking for and seeking intimacy with. The devil insinuates his agenda to puff them up, to convince them their legitimacy comes from what they know and what they do, their God-given design to crave truth in order to bring their family and others into wholeness gets derailed. You know, we know that scripture, don't we? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The New Living Translation says it this way, while knowledge makes us feel important, It's love that strengthens the church. So we need to recognize, don't we, the subtlety of the religious spirit. It's always in pursuit of more activity, more knowledge, more anything outside of Jesus. We must wake up to the fact that the devil has distracted us for far too long. We must return our focus to the one who embodies all truth and life. 
He alone is the way. So the birthright God is so passionate for the teacher to receive and walk in is this. Be that husband or wife, father or mother, minister or leader, who knows God's deep truths, knows him experientially, and then reveals his presence to others. At the end of the day, the question boils down to whether the teacher is going to choose to respond to God or not, to walk as Jesus walked, bringing truth to bear in every situation and circumstance. Do you know Jesus? Or do you just know about him? God wants you to incarnate the person and character of Jesus, not just document him. Going to the Word of God first is honorable and appropriate, but the best reflection of God's truth is incarnated in your life, not words or ideas. Identifying with Christ settles the issue of how valid or legitimate you are. Credentials and degrees are not your source of legitimacy in God. Do you remember what is your source of legitimacy in God? That He loves you, period. Legitimacy is a function of the human spirit, not the soul. Even though your soul is very emotional and witnesses primarily to your emotions, your spirit is made by God to witness primarily to the truth. And when you receive the love of God in your spirit, you feel legitimate. So the love of God in your spirit is the source of true legitimacy. Giving your spirit the time, the space, and solitude it needs to hear from the Lord, to know Him and and what He wants you to do, is legitimate. Simplicity, solitude, silence, prayer are four ingredients for developing intimacy with God. And that I got from Henri Nouwen, who has gone to be with the Lord now, but he wrote a beautiful book years ago called The Inner Voice of Love. I highly recommend it. (laughs) Those are the things that he found helped him to recover from what I think was essentially a nervous breakdown in his life. Simplicity, solitude, silence, and prayer. It's good spiritual hygiene, folks. Settling for knowledge and missing intimacy with God through in-depth personal interaction is a mistake, you know, that we can all easily make. Live in intimacy and worship by feeding both your spirit and your mind. Listen to the Word and the Spirit speaking to you and encouraging you, which is the best of both worlds, right? Spirit and truth. Patiently waiting for those in sin to become convicted and repent is one of your strengths, teacher. But you must be sensitive to God's voice when He says enough is enough and the time for godly confrontation has come. Now each week I finish with a blessing, so please put down your pen or pencil and listen now with your spirit to this blessing. I call the teacher portion of your spirit to attention to receive God's blessing for you. I bless you, teacher, as you represent the powerful third day of creation a day in which God released a whole new aspect of His nature into the world, the ability to convert and multiply. On this day, God created the trees, herbs, and seed-bearing plants, and He created one of the greatest miracles of life, the process by which a seed is planted in the soil to then grow into a plant we use to sustain life. 
I bless you, teacher, with understanding your true identity and purpose. God has made you to be a source of understanding and stability in the body of Christ, and I bless that aspect of God's nature in you. I bless your vigorous pursuit of truth with a coinciding increase of faith to receive God's truth from outside your traditional go-to sources. I bless you with receiving truth from a blend of God's logos, scriptural truth, and rhema, revealed truth, to grow in intimacy and worship of Him, not simply accumulating more knowledge and doctrine. The process of life from seed to plant is a picture of you, teacher. I bless you with hearing God's call to be that part of the human spirit that speaks the seed of truth to the body of Christ. I bless you with bringing life, healing, and health as you speak the revitalizing truth of God's Word into the soil of the lives He gives you. I bless you, teacher, for being a lover of truth. It's truth you crave and truth you live for, and I bless that as good. I bless you to remember that it is not the pursuit of truth that gives life, but its application that releases God's power to heal and make whole. The seed must have soil to grow in, and you must learn how to sow seed that can be heard and received by many, many who may never darken the doors of a church to hear truth communicated in more traditional ways. Teacher, I bless you with hearing the call of God to sanctify your family. This is the virtue that you have been called to walk in because you are made by God to know His deep truths in a profound way and to communicate them to the generations that follow. I bless you with knowing in the depths of your spirit that you carry a generational anointing. And because of that fact, there is a greater impact for good or evil based on what you do in your lifetime. I bless you with doing what God wants you to do with your birthright, to reveal His tangible presence to others, to cause them to pursue Him for themselves. I bless you with doing this so well that your children crave the presence of God above all things. I bless you, teacher, with establishing a legacy of physical and spiritual children who own their faith for themselves and who will reject religious activity where God is not present. I bless you, teacher, with all these mighty blessings in the name of the living truth himself, Jesus Christ. I bless you. All right, that's a wrap. That's this week's edition of Nurtured to Love. We looked at the redemptive gift of teacher. I'm Dorinda Trick. Join me each week as we explore the beauty of redemptive design God has deposited in each of our own spirits. So long now. See you next week.